0: listening to audio from The Table. If you'd like to learn more about our community or donate to this ministry, please visit thetabletx.org. Hello, Table Podcast listeners. Grace and peace. Brett here. So, so glad that you could be with us yet again. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a fun day because it's the beginning of Advent. And so Advent for Christian churches um, all over the world is uh, just, I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful time in the church calendar. And so we're going to be joining in with, with those uh, really, I don't know, maybe million churches? I don't know how many celebrate this, but uh, many, many. And so the title um, of our series this year is simply Advent at the Table. And for those unfamiliar with the season uh, in the church calendar, so the word Advent comes from the Latin adventus, uh, which means arrival. So Advent is not quite synonymous with Christmas. Instead, Advent is the, the waiting, the preparation, the longing for the arrival of God in the world. So it's like a very rich concept that, that kind of allows us to talk about all sorts of ways that Christ uh, has arrived in his incarnation, uh, in his birth. The way he continues to arrive via his expanded body through the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the way he will arrive at his second coming um, at the end of all things when God is all in all. So the title of our message specific to today is SMILE. It's Advent. And our scripture is from Matthew chapter 24, uh, verses 42 through 44, where Jesus speaking says this Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, passages like this one gave me some anxiety. Jesus was coming back at any moment, and I wanted to be ready, didn't want to miss it, was worried that I might. Perhaps, uh, kind of in rereading this, perhaps it was the thief language, The, the robber language. Like It's just so foreboding and sneaky. Jesus was coming like a thief. And I mean, granted, that's like a misreading in a sense um, or misinterpretation because the the thief language is a metaphor for the unexpected nature of Christ coming among us. All right. Like no one expects to be robbed. We don't say, hey, honey, remember Thursday at midnight, we're going to be robbed. So let's uh, be sure to lock up and let's have someone stay. Right, no, that doesn't happen. Uh, and so that's that's kind of what the emphasis here is. The point is not that Jesus himself returns like some bad guy sneaking around. And uh, this is why I titled the message, Smile It's Advent, because I want us to begin imagining the Advent theme, the theme which can really be captured in the phrase, um, Come, Lord Jesus, not as something dark and sinister but as something wonderful and good. Not as something that makes us cower in fear, worried that we too might be left behind, but rather something that makes us uh, lift our heads high in joy. In other words, uh, come Lord Jesus, this great Advent theme. This isn't a statement shot through with anxiety. Come Lord Jesus, needn't be tinged with fear. Come Lord Jesus is not a threat. It is a cry of confident hope. It is the trust that Christ was present in the incarnation, Christ is present to us now, and Christ will come again when God is all in all at the end of all things. It's it's the hope that this gospel really is good news for the world. That's our hope. The gospel's not bad news. The gospel is good news. Now, having said that, um, here at the table, we tend to speak quite often of Christ's incarnation at the first Christmas, and we also speak Maybe more than any other theme um, at our church about Christ's ongoing presence, His ongoing arrival with us via the Holy Spirit and His expanded body. I mean, that was like the whole sermon um, last week. Um, but but this last arrival, this what's known as the second coming. What what is that all about? And uh, furthermore, what about those those portions of the New Testament that do indeed make That arrival sound as though it is bad news, at least for the unbelievers. So those are the the questions kind of driving um, my message today. So let's walk through this. And the way I'm going to frame it is by asking and hopefully adequately answering four key questions. So question number one, what is the second coming of Jesus all about? Well, um, that's a big question. But in short, the resurrection of Christ was kind of a big deal, you know that's putting it mildly, but I mean, just think of it like God raised his son Jesus Christ from the dead. Let that sink in it's a it's a it's a huge event I mean think of what the cross was. All the dark spiritual powers in this world working behind the scenes of history and all the worst evils just humans are capable of all throughout history. I mean, if you think of the cross, it was us at our religious, political, cultural, social worst. That's what put Jesus on the cross. All of it was judged by the crucifixion of Christ, but the grave could not hold him down. Christ is risen. The principalities and powers are defeated. Christ then ascends and now his body is mysteriously embracing or beginning to embrace all things and all people. This is a massive rupture in history. It's like the wildest, most wonderful, most unforeseen story ever told. But there's more because it's, it's not just good news for Jesus. Like, oh, hooray for him. He's, you know, he's risen. That's, that's awesome. What a win, Jesus. Um, instead, 1 Corinthians 15 really unpacks this. So let's pick up the story there. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 50. Uh, and this is the message, a paraphrase of the Bible. Uh, Paul writes, I need to emphasize, friends, that our ner- natural earthly lives don't in themselves lead us by their very nature into the kingdom of God. Their very nature is to die. So how could they naturally end up in the life kingdom? Let me tell you something wonderful. A mystery I'll probably never fully understand. We are not all going to die, but we are all going to be changed. You hear a blast to end all blasts from a trumpet. And in the time that you look up and blink your eyes, it is over. On signal from that trumpet from heaven, the dead will be up and out of their graves, beyond the reach of death, never to die again. At the same moment, in the same way, will all be changed. In the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Everything perishable taken off the shelves and replaced by the imperishable. This mortal replaced by the immortal. Then the same will come true death, swallowed by triumphant life. Who got the last word, O death? O death, who's afraid of you now? See, it was sin, Paul continues, that made death so frightening in law code guilt that gave sin its leverage, its destructive power. But now in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, death, gone. The gift of our master, Jesus Christ. Thank God. With all this going for us, my dear, dear friends, stand your ground. Don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. You see, what God has done for his son, Jesus Christ, in resurrection, he has promised to one day do, not only for you and for me, but for all of creation, As Romans 8.22 states, all creation groans like a woman in childbirth waiting, waiting for the day of her redemption. And honestly, as we watch the news, as we look around at our world, who on earth could disagree with that? The groaning. The suffering are everywhere from the war torn cities of Ukraine. Do those bodies not cry out for resurrection? To the child suffering abuse or neglect, do their bodies not cry out for resurrection? To those swept away by natural disasters, do their bodies not cry out for resurrection? To those murdered at Club Q in Colorado, do their bodies not cry out? For resurrection see there is beauty in this world but there is also hellish suffering christ is not yet all in all we do not yet have resurrection bodies oh but the christian hope is that we will this fallen suffering cosmos crying out for resurrection will be healed that's what the second coming of Jesus is all about. And that's good news. But it does lead us right to our second question, which is this. Why is it taking so long? I mean, you might say, yeah, I, I agree. This world cries out, longs for resurrection. Our bodies scream for resurrection. But why is it taking so long? Here's a wonderful quote on this topic from the theologian um, Sergius Bulgakov. He says this, The goals of God, in other words, like the endpoints, are unalterable and irrevocable, but the paths to them can differ. And these differences, inessential for the whole, can turn out to be essential for individual destinies and achievements. Uh, He gives an example of this. He cites the book of Jonah, which we looked at a a few weeks back, where God tells Jonah to announce, in 40 days, I will destroy the city of Nineveh. But then he doesn't. Like, then based on how the people respond, well, then God does not do that. And we're like, wait, wait, that that was biblical prophecy. He just gave a timeline. Even, you know, it was very specific. 40 days. you, You can't go against your word, God. But it seems God is more creative, more compassionate, more patient then we might uh, appreciate God seems to be working with the world as it is with people, humanity as we are. So in other words, where we are headed, that's set. God will be all in all creation will be healed, restored, resurrected. The entire cosmos will, but how exactly we get there, uh, that seems to be somewhat of a dance between our, at least up to this point, rather poor response and, uh, in God's wisdom, so this leads to the third question: um, Isn't this delay of the resurrection of the cosmos incredibly discouraging? And you know that's a good, good one. I, I guess for some it is, but honestly, while I have my moments, I, overall I'm just grateful to know there's a plan. <laughs> I mean, I guess like outsiders probably look at Christian faith. In, in Christians, and kind of, I don't know, how they might view someone like me, like, sort of, you know, with, with my starry-eyed trust that God is still up to something in this crappy fallen world. And maybe they just find that a little, I don't know, a little silly. But truth be told, uh, what I would find most depressing is, I guess, where most other people are coming from, which is that, you know, God's not up to something. It's just us, and things are probably going to go from bad to worse. Like, that... that that's kind of a creeping uh nihilism, a meaninglessness, a pointlessness, like to believe that those have the last word ugh, like to me that would be the worst, so honestly like paul i I take great encouragement that even if i can't understand all the ins and outs of biblical prophecy or even if i don't understand the delay itself i'm i'm motivated by the knowledge of where by faith we are headed. As we just read in the closing of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, With all this going for us, oh, my dear, dear friends, stand your ground. Don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the Master, confident that nothing you do for Him is a waste of time or effort. In other words, if resurrection is where we are headed, then every act of resurrection, every act of love, service, kindness... It does not go to waste. Now That brings us to the fourth question. You might say, that's all well and good, but what about the people who are simply judged and go to hell? I mean, come Lord Jesus doesn't sound like good news for them. Uh, This is, is part of a much larger conversation, but suffice it to say, while I do believe Christ will speak a word of judgment over everything evil and horrible in this cosmos... I believe that ultimately the fire spoken of in scripture, whether it's the fire that will come upon the earth or the fire of hell, I believe that ultimately it is a refining and a purifying and a good fire. It is the furious love of God burning away everything corrupt and evil that would hold us back from him. In other words, I'm not rejecting verses that, might carry a negative connotation of this day of the Lord. Uh, What I'm saying is we have to read them, uh, well, we have tended to read them as God's final word when actually there's a word after that. God's no is followed by his yes. His judgment, like the discipline of a loving parent, is designed to lead to maturity and healing to heal what needs to be mended in our soul, to fix what's broken, to bring us back into the family of God, back in the kingdom of God. And so this is why I am wildly optimistic about the love of God in the second coming of, of Christ. Advent is our great hope. That's why I say, oh, smile. Smile, it's Advent. Now, in closing, I want to leave you with a, a bit of an imaginative um, tool. You know, there might be moments not might, there will be moments of, of great despair in your life, moments where pain uh, or the suffering of this world, it's just, it threatens to undo your faith, to undermine your love. And in that moment, here's what I want you to do. Close your eyes and view, view the darkness you experience there. View that as like the despair, as clouds. Clouds surrounding you. I want you to feel the scariness of that. Now, see a small light piercing the clouds from above. That light is the light of God, the light of love, and it now shines into your own heart. The light then fills you slowly. The clouds begin to disappear. The light then fills every person that you love. And then the light begins to fill all things. Suddenly, everything is shining with the radiant love of God. Anytime you're struggling with despair, make make that your prayer exercise. In the name of the Father